Do you believe you can live a pain-free, vital life? Do you want to step back into your power and share your gifts with the world? Are you ready to make a commitment to you? It's time to reclaim your inheritance as a self-healer. Welcome to the Nature of Healing. Hello, healers. I'm Roseanne. Today, I have with me another healer who is also a friend. Alyssa Gonda is a nationally certified licensed acupuncturist with Bachelor of Arts degrees in nutrition and psychology and a Master of Science degree in oriental medicine. She completed an advanced internship at the Guangzhou Institute for Traditional Chinese Medicine in Guangzhou, China. A lifetime struggle with asthma, allergies, and chronic sinusitis led Elissa to become interested in alternative medicine. Acupuncture, dietary and lifestyle changes, as well as Chinese herbal medicine, restored Elissa to the state of health that she has longed for since childhood. Elissa treats children and adults with a wide variety of health concerns. She enjoys helping people feel well and hopes to empower her patients to be healthy in mind, body, and spirit. A true healer. Welcome to the Nature of Healing podcast, Elissa. Hi, Roseanne. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Wonderful. It's always wonderful to see you and talk to you. And thank you for your important practice from which I myself have benefited. (laughs) And yours as well. Thank you. So we're both natural healers and natural healers strive for balance and teach balance. So let's talk about balance. We live in this dualistic world of light and dark, positive and negative. And I know that the yin-yang is an ancient Chinese philosophy of dualism, but it describes how seemingly opposite forces may actually be complementary or interconnected in the natural world and how each of these sides may give rise to the other as they interrelate to one another. So to me, that sounds a lot like a relationship. How does this yin-yang play into your practice? That's a good question, Roseanne. And just to speak to what you were just saying, uh, yin-yang theory in Chinese, it is pronounced yang, Mm. um, is dualistic, but it is also um, unifying. So there is both unity and duality or monism and dualism. So though they are seemingly opposite, we, are, we do describe that as being complementary opposites. So yin and yang theory are integral to traditional Chinese medicine. So I think first I should introduce a little bit of information about traditional Chinese medicine, what it is, what I do, and then I can really explain to you how yin and yang play a role in um, the more practical aspects of acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine. Traditional Chinese medicine is a very intense and heavy philosophical subject matter um, that is eye-opening, but a little bit mind-boggling. I have done lectures on traditional Chinese medicine and yin and yang theory in the past and seen people leave like deer in the headlights. So I'm going to try to tread the line here today between 
something interesting that you can relate to, but also maybe just verging a little bit on nerdiness. Um, Sounds perfect. <laughs> I figured you would <laughs> you would relate to that. Um, Roseanne, you and I first met. We were just brought together by friends, and instantly, of course, we could tell that we were kindred spirits. And um, so I always know when I'm talking to you about these things that you'll understand. Mm-hmm. Once you begin practicing traditional Chinese medicine or any other kind of natural healing, you don't just learn about it, but you really live it. And with traditional Chinese medicine, just like a lot like what you do, we're working on creating synchronicity with the environment. Though so it sounds very foreign, traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture, yin and yang, um, it's not really as esoteric as you might first think. Yin and yang, for example, those words, we don't really have a word to translate yin or yang into in English. So we just use those words. um, And that can make things seem a little bit more mysterious or less um, less practical, um, but really that's actually quite practical to both life and to uh, physical healing. So once you learn a little bit about those concepts, it becomes more like common sense. It is common sense in China to talk about yin and yang and in many other cultures around the world. And anyone can develop that common sense. And once you've done that, you can have a greater appreciation for how you integrate in with your surroundings and really understand your body on an entirely new level. It does take a little bit of indoctrination and acculturation in order to understand the basic concepts uh, because we don't really have anything like uh, traditional Chinese medicine or yin-yang theory in the West or in Western medicine. So I don't really know when that exactly happened for me, um, but in the next 30 to 60 minutes here, I'm going to try to do that for you and all of your listeners. Wonderful. So, <laughs> so um, traditional Chinese medicine is encompasses eight different mo- modalities. Most people are familiar with acupuncture. And acupuncture, the word for acupuncture in Chinese medicine is, or in Chinese, excuse me, is zhenju, which means acupuncture and moxibustion. Have you had moxibustion before, Roseanne? Yes, just once before. It was, it was just a, like an adjunct. To me, it seemed like an adjunct therapy, but what, what is that? So moxibustion is the bustion part, right, is uh, burning. So it's the burning of an herb. And the herb that's most commonly used in Chinese medicine for moxibustion is Chinese mugwort. Um, Though there are sometimes other herbs that are used in combination. And it can be used on its own, but it is often used in conjunction with acupuncture. So um, when we talk about acupuncture, it really is, it can't be separated from moxibustion. So acupuncture, um, of course, uses inserting needles to harmonize body energy. And moxibustion 
is when we burn Chinese mugwort on or near the surface of the skin in the U.S. on the skin in China. And we use the same treatment principles, trying to stimulate qi um, at specific points on the body or in specific areas of the body, for example, along the spine. Mm. So that's one modality of traditional Chinese medicine. And I think that most people are familiar with the rest of the modalities, so they might not have put them together into a complete picture. So other modalities of traditional Chinese medicine include herbal medicine, of course, um, using plants, but in, also in Chinese medicine, animal parts and minerals of various kinds, meaning actual like rock, stone, and shell. Um, and with herbal medicine, with traditional Chinese medicine, the focus is on a balanced interaction of all the ingredients uh, to treat an individual constitution rather than in Western medicine, for example, sometimes one component of one herb will be extracted and potentized and delivered in a high dose. That doesn't work that way in Chinese herbal medicine. We usually have several herbs in each formula, and each one helps to guide the formula in certain ways. Mm -hmm. uh, some people are familiar with those herbal formulas that are decocted, and they're really kind of turbid and bitter and strong, but we do use tea pills and capsules and things like that as well. In Chinese medicine, we also use nutritional therapy, but Chinese dietary therapy doesn't focus on the like micronutrients of the foods. Rather, it uses the principles of traditional Chinese medicine. And it's, again, very common sense. If you know a little bit about uh, Chinese medicine and the philosophies that underlie Chinese medicine, um, and it's used um, more specifically for individuals based on their unique constitutions. So foods that might be helpful for me might not be helpful for you, even though we have the same Western diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Another aspect of traditional Chinese medicine is Tui Na massage. A lot of people aren't familiar with that term, Tui Na, though they might know my practitioner uses acupressure. But Tui Na is a very um, vigorous type of massage, is the best way that it can be described. Um, so it uses a lot of grasping, pushing, stretching, vibrating, pinching, and things of that nature. And that's used for pain relief, um, circulation, relieving injuries, musculoskeletal complaints. Another modality that people may be familiar with is qigong, which can be translated sometimes as breath work. That is a way of using regulated breathing while you're using physical, uh, physical activity in order to propel your body's qi in specific ways. And anyone who's ever eaten at a Chinese restaurant has probably seen their um, Chinese horoscope. Astrology is another modality of traditional Chinese medicine, and that uses 
divination of the future based on the Chinese lunar calendar. So I'm a snake, for example. How about you? You know, I think I'm a snake, too. I can't remember. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> uh-huh. So most people know about that as well, though it's not really commonly used clinically. It is actually a part of traditional Chinese medicine. Feng Shui is one of the oldest traditional Chinese medicine modalities, originated over 8,000 years ago. And it uses uh, organization of space to promote health and relieve stress. Um, so essentially, feng shui is like acupuncture for your environment. Mm -hmm. And that is how cities in China have been built for thousands of years, according to those principles. Wow, I had no um, idea. Is, yeah, very, very deep stuff. Um, meditation is the last of the eight modalities of traditional Chinese medicine. Of course, meditation transcends just traditional Chinese medicine used in many countries throughout the world. Meditation is creating inner stillness or helping to communicate between mind, body, and spirit. So there you go. That is when we're talking about uh, traditional Chinese medicine and how we're trying to use yin and yang to balance the body. Um, it helps to know the different, um, the different aspects that we're working with. Yeah, so you are basically, you've absorbed that philosophy and you, you don't necessarily talk about it with your clients, but you, you in your intake or your exam with them, um, you understand how you're going to be using those principles. Yes, that, I would say that that describes it really well. I do my best when a patient comes in, if it's of interest to them, to explain to them in sort of an elevator speech how I'm trying to create balance, but without a foundational understanding of the philosophy that underlies traditional Chinese medicine and the various ways that it's applied, it's just not something that you can, you know, sort of sum up in a sentence or two, <laughs> which I have to do a lot. Right. So, uh, Chinese medicine um, has roots in Chinese philosophy, of course. Um, the main philosophies being Taoism, um, if you're familiar with Taoism, mm -hmm. and Confucianism. Sort yeah. of competing philosophies, really. But um, both are integrated into Chinese medicine. Uh, it's not... It doesn't have a lot of religious underpinnings, though there is some influence from Buddhism and shamanism, so the oldest origins of acupuncture um, could be related to more shamanistic practices. Yeah, that makes sense, because if you think about all the natural healing mod modalities and philosophies over the world that are not allopathic Western medicine, you describe Eastern medicine, and that that allows for quite a wide variety of basically an understanding of nature. And that's how, you know, each culture understands nature is through their practices. Exactly. So uh, 
acupuncture, for example, the origins of acupuncture are essentially lost because the oldest evidence that we have of acupuncture is on literally on shells and bones. So it predates written history. But we have some idea of how it evolved. And one way that it evolved was using the sharpened stones called beyond stones um, to be sort of pierced into the body at specific points. And that was probably for shamanistic purposes to, you know, I guess sort of let out the spirits, right? I, I didn't, I've never heard that before, but that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So I know from my own experience that acupuncture can either have a very subtle effect and it might require, you know, a couple times to realize the outcome that you want, or it could have a very dramatic, immediate effect. Can you give me an example of something maybe that you've had experienced recently in a patient? Sure, absolutely. I had a really great experience just today with a small child who had had a chronic cough for the last couple of weeks and has been treated um, with Western medicine and it wasn't getting any better and it was real constant. So came into the clinic and just, you know, every minute or two was coughing up a storm. So with the very first treatment uh, for about 20 to 30 minutes, this child went without coughing and that was profound after parents been staying up at night um, for days, you know, trying to help deal with this cough. And I don't know how things will go uh, going forward now, but just a small bit of relief sometimes makes all the difference. I also recently had um, a patient with a herniated disc in the cervical spine, so in the neck, who was scheduled for surgery. And after a couple of acupuncture treatments, um, was feeling a lot better, but still planned to to go through with surgery and went in for the surgical consult. And the surgeon said, we're going to cancel surgery because your symptoms are so much better. So those are, and again, I don't know how things will go into the future. I hope that I played a role in those situations. You never know for sure because this isn't a Petri dish. Um, But certainly people can have very dramatic and remarkable results quickly. Um, On the other hand, I may see somebody for weeks upon weeks and it seems like I can't make any progress Um, or progress is slow over four, six, eight, 10, 12 appointments. Perhaps they have a chronic disease um, or condition um, and I'm not necessarily trying to, to heal that condition, but I just want to increase their quality of life. So help with pain or fatigue or sleep issues or digestive consequences of their overall condition rather than really trying to affect a major change where they'll come in for 10 or 12 appointments and then I never see them again. So I just want to be part of their care for the long term in those cases. Yeah. 
I consider the client or the patient a healer too, obviously, just like you do. Mm-hmm. But it, it describes this amazing dynamic in a relationship and then um, how the two come together for whatever is going to happen. And, you know, the fact that they keep coming back means that they are interested in healing themselves. Uh, even one appointment that for that dramatic effect that you just described today, um, that shows the power of a, a person's healing ability. It's because it's, it's more than just the physical. You're opening up energy points like you described. You're opening up these meridians. And so each condition or the symptoms that are described to you direct you to open up certain meridians. Is that accurate? Absolutely. So I look at the overall picture of a person's health, their lifestyle, their history, and all of that goes into how I treat them. And it's different for every person and it might be different for every person each time I see them. That's not always the case. Sometimes a person's treatment remains rather consistent. But for many people, um, even if the core treatment stays the same, it will change from time to time depending on how it's presenting on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, you really understand that well. Um, And that's what makes you so good at what you do. I think um, you've actually expanded your original uh, degrees, continuing your education. Um, And whereas a lot of people are focusing, a lot of acupuncturists, I should say, focus on the body, you have have studied special techniques uh, focusing on the head. Can you describe what what that education was and who you studied with and how that helps enhance your practice? Sure, of course. I love to talk about this, actually. So the style of acupuncture you're describing is in the West called scalp acupuncture. Um, Also can be called head acupuncture, depending on where you live. And the idea of scalp or head acupuncture is to stimulate points on the scalp to help to affect underlying areas of the brain. And so this is really seems like it's very uh, Western in basis, but it does have deep roots in traditional Chinese medicine as well. There are meridians on the head, acupuncture points on the head, and traditional understandings of what the brain does and how the points on the scalp work. There was a neurosurgeon in the 1970s named Zhao Shanba who using his neurosurgeon lens, started looking at these points on the head and realized, wow, they were really onto something because this point that um, the ancients said was helpful for urinary issues, for example, lies over the motor and sensory region for the bladder. And he took those pieces of information and put it together into a system that expands on those traditional points. So it's not using just points, rather it's using areas over different parts of the brain. And we use that for um, neurological issues, of course, psychosomatic issues. Uh, I, I use head acupuncture on a daily basis with my clients. It could be for 
depression, or it could be for a motor neuron disorder, or it could be post-stroke, or for someone with Parkinson's, where I'm really trying to stimulate um, the areas of the brain that are affected by those illnesses. That we really doesn't tie in as well with the type of um, philosophical um, yin-yang theory and uh, Taoist philosophy and all of that that a lot of the body treatments encompass. Um, so it does have a little bit more of a Western focus, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm, but you're still using the energy body to uh, ha- create an outcome for the patient using needles. And it's not to say you have to kind of put yourself in the box of this yin-yang tradition. You are kind of expanding the tradition to keep up with what's happening in the world. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Relying on the ancient philosophies, but being open to new information. And I do think, though, many people within our profession really do stick to a traditional and a more traditional understanding or classical understanding of Chinese medicine, I feel that if our forefathers in this medicine were alive today, they would be adapting and changing with new information as well. So I do try to try to both stand on the shoulders of the ancestors, so to speak, but be open to what's happening in my patients' lives here and what they are what they know is Western medicine. And um, their healthcare providers, that's what that's what they know and that's what they that's how they want to hear about my medicine. How can I help in that way? So I try to incorporate both. Good. This is exactly why I do what I'm doing with this podcast is to bring out people like you who like to, you know, bridge the gaps that exist now to kind of bring these ancient modalities up to speed. And I think you're right. The ancestors would expect us to, you know, take up where they left off. And, you know, people would consider you kind of a pioneer or at least going to the next level because we're always changing and growing and even humanity itself uh, is expanding and evolving. We need to keep up with that. Otherwise, you know, we're repeating the past over and over and wonder why we don't evolve, I guess. Isn't that the truth? I've been thinking about that a lot. Really? You know, uh, the like I mentioned, there's this rich heritage of Chinese medicine that goes back thousands of years. So many books have been written that even just the ones that have been translated into English, I I couldn't possibly read them all in my lifetime. There's so much information there. But I often wonder what were the motivations of those people in that time period and just like, you know, the propaganda that we, we talk about in this day and age from um, whether it would be the FDA or the CDC, if we, if we question that, if we question what's happening right now in our time period, 
then we also have to look back into history and try to look at the, uh, um, the whole picture of what was happening in society at that time and why um, things were described the way that they were and what kind of manipulations might have existed then. And if we're not doing that, then we're just, you know, like you said, repeating history. Yeah, that's why I love the way you think. And I, I love our conversations, you know, even off air <laughs> that we have because you just think <laughs> so far outside the box. And that's where we all need to be thinking. We can't live like our ancestors lived. They had their own limitations just as we do, just as you're they're connecting those dots and it's possible why that's why they didn't advance to the stage that you know you're taking it because they couldn't they could only do what they could do and we have to be able to do what we can do we have to push our limits um, and I I learned so much from you once you know when I was with you as a, a patient you offered clay treatment pilotherapy and I said yes of course I'm always open to new things and it was just a wonderful experience uh, and I know you incorporate that into your practice it's something that sets you apart from other acupuncturists because you really have understood these ancient Chinese traditions and what they used to use in acupuncture um, can you talk a little bit about that about the clay therapy yes yeah absolutely so there's a lot of exploration to be done there. Um, and I, I love your, um, your faith and confidence in me, Roseanne. You're so wonderful. <laughs> I consider myself to be a real student of Chinese medicine. There are a lot of people who practice Chinese medicine who are real scholars. Um, and I, I couldn't even begin to consider myself in that realm. I'm just a student. I'm just learning and trying to apply and I'm curious and always trying to incorporate new things um, so yeah I'm just gonna um, make sure that your listeners don't think I'm some kind of like a guru out there no, but, 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 but if I could interject one thing is what you're saying is to be curious is to be smart it's it's you know, if you don't ask questions, you don't learn. So with that, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> You're great. Um, clay therapy. So, huh, so all right. I'm just going to turn my brain around for a minute here. Um, let me first talk about just the general idea of clay therapy. It is the use of... Um, inorganic mineral matter, right, clay, um, so not soil, um, but like a disintegrated rock, more or less, and using that for healing purposes. And it's been used since the dawn of time. It's one of the, I love really old medical therapies. You should know that about me. I like, I'm kind of a nerd about medical history. So, um, if it's old, I want to know about it. Mm -hmm. um, so people have used clay in a variety of ways. It's been used, um, it's been used as a famine food. It has been used 
internally. So, you know, by, by drinking it or eating, um, eating balls of clay, it's been used topically in baths um, and throughout the world. This is uh, widespread, um, kind of transcends culture. And I like it because it's so simple, you know, just throw some dirt on it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the ways that it's been used and things that I think are really interesting are to prevent poisoning. You know, um, somebody's been poisoned by a substance, they eat a piece of clay, it binds with those poisons and toxins and keeps them from dying. I mean, how brilliant is that? Mm-hmm. Um, it's been used, it's very detoxifying. And that word, of course, opens up a whole nother conversation. So I'm just going just gonna to leave it there. But in municipal water systems, um, bentonite clay has been used, for example, to help to clear out pollutants. People have sat in... Um, clay pits um, back into ancient times for healing purposes. And, you know, many healers throughout the course of history have talked about it. Um, One of my favorites being Mahatma Gandhi, who was a healer, um, aside from being an activist. And he used the clay poultice on the abdomen every day um, to help with constipation issues. So... Clay therapy can be used in so many ways. It's not used in the modern era in traditional Chinese medicine, though there are references to it in our texts. And there is um, one form of clay that is included in our Materia Medica. I, I kind of dabble, I guess is how I would describe it, by using it myself, putting a little teaspoon of a specific type of clay in water and drinking it that way for detoxifying purposes or um, for, you know, mineral supplementation. I put it in a bath. I have a jar of clay in my medicine cabinet that's hydrated, you know, a quart jar. So if I ever have an injury of any kind, a burn, a blister, a sprained ankle, I do, I do just slap some, slap some mud on it, just take a big scoop of it and um, press it against the injured area, wrap it up, and um, it often feels better. Um, It's very interesting and simple um, therapy. There you have it. Yeah. That's my interest in clay. Well, you know, your interest in it spurred my interest in it. And, um, and you, you told me about the book, uh, The Clay Disciples, which I recommend other people read because it gives a whole different uh, perspective on clay as, as kind of a homeostatic, homeopathic kind of healer. Uh, and it's been used for centuries, as you say. And I know you were working on a book once uh, for clay therapies, which I hope will one day be published to bring all that research that you're doing out to today's audience, uh, because I think people could really benefit from all the work that you've done with it and, and then, you know, research you're doing. Yeah, it's more of an idea at this point in time than anything else. I have a lot of research, but it's not really put together well enough yet to be 
described as being a book. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Though I hope someday it takes me in that direction. Um, and I really feel like I need practical experience with it. Years of practical experience. And so I'm trying to, trying to gather that and gather stories that people give me when I, uh, when I recommend clay therapy to them, whether it's the patient who started clay therapy and told me that his silver hair started coming in brown again, mm. you know, or um, there was a patient at the clinic who used clay therapy on a, a rash and that had been, you know, resistant to all other treatments and it took it away. So just trying to gather some, some information about it. Um, I guess how I approach this topic as well as most other topics um, that I'm interested in is I never feel like I know enough. There's always someone, Jason Aiton, for example, who you're also familiar with, um, mm -hmm. who is just such a wealth of information about clay that I think to myself, oh, how can I ever add, how could I ever contribute when he has just done so much for this therapy? Um, so, But when you put it into practice, you are contributing, aren't you? I mean, you are taking what he puts out in information and you're applying it. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I love forgotten medicine, whether it's clay therapy or you know, squatting to go to the bathroom. Right. You know, I like things that people, that people don't really think about that. Um, like I said, that um, we're reinventing the wheel, like things are buried and then we dig them up and, and then they're obscured from us again, either intentionally or because they've been lost. I like to dig that up and play around with those ideas and, um, see what it does for me and my health. Yeah, and, and you pass that along then. I mean, I'm like you that way. I don't recommend to my clients anything I wouldn't do myself or I would, you know, I'm from everything from enemas to, you know, tinctures to clay. I do all of that too. And we have to be examples. I think we are you know how people describe the canary in the coal mine as the more sensitive person. We are those, I guess, experimenters. Um, we experiment with ourselves to be able to help others. So uh, I just, I just love what you do and that you're so willing to share. So, you know, I just thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and experiences today and everybody can contemplate that. Uh, do you have anything else you wanted to add? I don't think so. I think we've pretty much covered it, Roseanne. I know you and I are on the same page about a lot of things and I guess just like to see people always looking a little bit deeper into things and looking for deeper meaning and asking more questions and more questions and getting another opinion and um, being open-minded about new things. Um, it's unfortunate when I see people who think they're going to get sick and they'll take this medicine and they'll get better and, or they'll have this surgery and they'll get better. 
and that's how they're living their life. And then they encounter an illness or an injury and they go for that treatment that they thought would be always there for them. And it doesn't do what they thought it would do. Um, just, it's good that you have this blog to bring attention to different healing modalities so that um, people can be well um, without um, extreme interventions. So thank you. Thank you so much. And mm -hmm. just so everybody knows, Elissa is as beautiful as she sounds. So... <laughs> <laughs> if you have any desire to try acupuncture or acupressure or just talk with her about the options available to you on a natural level that you can reverse symptoms, you can reverse disease by going to the core of your problems. And this is opening up your energy. Then you need to talk to Elissa. And I highly recommend her as you all obviously know. <laughs> but um <laughs> So thank you again, and for the rest of you. Thank you, Roseanne. You're welcome. And for the rest of us, until next time, healers, lots of love. Visit or consult with Roseanne Lindsay, naturopath, at natureofhealing.org, where you can find her books at her website and at amazon.com.